0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Well, in Romans chapter 13, Paul talks about, uh, do you know what time it is? And he wants us to be sure and certain and clear we're 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 aware of the time in which we live. Not so much the minute it is right now, but the era, the age we live in. Uh, if you came to church this morning on a motorbike and you didn't know what time of year it was, you'd be in for a real surprise, right? You'd come around the first corner and get a bucket of water in your face and you'd go, ooh, it must be some crime, right? It's good to know about those things ahead of time, to be prepared for it that's exactly what Paul's talking about in Romans 13, 11 through 14. So let's read uh, where Paul says this, chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Uh, Paul poses this question. uh, Do you know what time it is? He says, you do know what time it is. And he tells us three things about the time we're living in. And the picture that he uh, paints here is one of, of a very long, dark night. Right? And uh, have you ever been in a situation where maybe you didn't sleep well, maybe you were sick, but you felt like the night just went on forever? You ever been, had one of those, right? And you just are longing for what? For the break of day, right? You just, You just think, if I could just... If I could just hang on till the sun comes up, it'll, it'll be new, right? Uh, one of the most memorable nights like that for me happened when I was about 13 years old, and I was on a backpack trip camping up in the mountains. And we had hiked up way up high, uh, way above tree line, and we were camping out up there. And uh, it was just a freezing cold night. And all night long, the wind just howled. And I, we had a tent. But it, it was a tent that was mostly window, right? It was made for the view, not for actually shelter. So the wind would just scream through this tent, right? And I mean, it was cold. Cold enough that when we woke up in the morning, there was actually two or three inches of snow on the ground, right? And uh, this is like July, but up high it can snow. And I was just not prepared for this. And I was sleeping in basically this kind of sleeping bag designed for a slumber party in your living room, Not not a snowstorm at 12,000 feet. And I just thought I was going to die. And I couldn't sleep all night. I was so cold. I was just freezing. And the wind, I could just feel the wind going through my sleeping bag, through my bones, and out the other side. And I just thought it was a night that would never end. And I just remembered shivering, curled up in as tight a ball as I could get, you know, warmed by only my own breath. Right. And I just could not wait for morning to come for sunshine for something warm right and I just lived in anticipation of that well that's the picture that Paul is painting here he says uh, you know the time the hour has come for you to wake from sleep well why well because dawn is about to break it's almost morning it has been a long dark night and he's picturing this in terms of human history Right? For a long time, the world has slept and slumbered in this darkness. But it has been a miserable darkness. It has not been fun. It has been an endless night. And we long for the break of a new day. And he says, hey, guess what time it is? It is time to get up. Now, the, the day is about to dawn, but it hasn't dawned yet. But it's almost there. And now, now this is where the, the image for us... In our day and age breaks down a bit. Okay, for them, when they heard this word, it's dark, but the day is about to break, it would make sense to wake up. For me, that doesn't make sense. right? In the day and age we, we live, this, in my world, the sun gets up first. Sun gets up, then I get up. Right? But that's because we live in an era of electricity where we don't have to get up when the sun does because we can stay up long after the sun goes down. But in in, in Paul's day and in Paul's time, daylight was precious. Especially in the winter, the short days, you didn't waste daylight. So you wanted to make the most of it because when the sun went down at night, your work was done. You're not going to read any more books. You're not going to do any more work. Uh, When it gets dark, it's dark. And maybe you can stumble around a bit by lamplight. But pretty much uh, as the saying goes, make hay while the sun shines. Anybody know that saying? Some people would. It means make good use of daylight. So if you lived in, in Paul's day, you wanted to get up before the sun got up. So when that sun broke the horizon, you were prepared and ready to make good use of the daylight. That's the picture here. So he says, look, the day is about to dawn. It's time to wake up. Quit sleeping. Get ready for the new coming uh, day, which is about to dawn. So what is this, this new day? Um, Well, he says uh, In verse 11, he says You know the day and the hour is coming uh, For salvation is nearer to us now Than when we first believed He says you need to be ready for what's coming next And the breaking of day that he's talking about Is the coming of our salvation Now, a lot of you may be thinking Hmm, but I thought I already got saved, right? Uh, If I were to ask you to raise hands How many of you got saved? Hopefully, most of you, if not all of you, would say, I've been saved, past tense. So what is Paul looking forward to when he speaks about our salvation is coming? Well, salvation for us who trust Christ, who trust in his work, comes in three phases. It comes past tense for most of us at a point in our past when we understood the message of the gospel and we put our faith in that work of Jesus to save us. And so we received his gift of salvation, and it begins a saving work in us. So we can say in a sense that I got saved when I was 10 or 12 or 15 or 25, right? It means we received his gift of salvation. But Paul also talks about us working out our salvation. That in the present, we also are appropriating God's saving work. So it's not a finished thing yet. Uh, Past tense, it got started. Present tense, we're working on it. The Holy Spirit is working on fulfilling it. But ultimately, our salvation is, in its final state, is future. Uh, We're not as saved yet as we are going to be. Uh, There is more work to be done. And what he's talking about is the coming day when Jesus will return, and he will accomplish fully all that he has promised to do in saving us. We get a new body, we get a completely new life, Uh, whereas we are in the process of being remade, on that day, it will be finished. It will be completed. It will be accomplished. And all of God's salvation will come to fruition, will come to fulfillment, will be accomplished at that time. Well, when does that happen? Well, it happens when Jesus returns. Uh, Jesus died, He rose again, He ascended to heaven. And we know that one day He's coming back as He promised, and when He does, He will bring His salvation with Him. And not only for us personally, individually, but for the church and also for the world. God will bring the fulfillment of his redemptive purpose for it all. So he's talking about a day in the future when Jesus will come and he will restore and and bring his final redemption to all created order. Um, And we need to be prepared for that. He says, wake up. Because the end is almost here. That great day, that final day of God's salvation, is dawning. Right? It's dawning. And in fact, he says it this way in verse uh, verse uh, 12. He says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Uh, the night is well advanced. He says we are almost to the end. And we are right at the verge of the break of dawn. Uh, now, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. And if you do the math, you know, 2,000 years, that's hardly what I would call fast approaching, right? Uh, It's hardly what I would call right on us, right? And if it's been 2,000 years, could it be another 2,000 years? Could it be 10,000? I mean, what what does that exactly mean? And it's unfortunate um, that because we've seen this long period of time elapse, we can kind of get lulled into the sense that fast approaching means, you know, like a turtle's pace, right? Like, it's really not going to happen. Not in my lifetime, right? It's been 2,000 years. Odds of it happening soon? Probably not. But what did Paul mean by this? Were they mistaken? Uh, Did they not understand God's program? What does it mean, this fast approaching day? Well, it, it really means at least three things. First of all, uh, he says that it is closer now than when we first believed, right? Uh, and if Paul could say that in his time, imagine how much closer it is now 2,000 years later, right? The truth is it is closer than it was. And every day it moves that much closer. So what Paul says here is true. It is getting closer. Every day of our life brings us one step nearer the final fulfillment. Second... Um, what, 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 the New Testament, believe, what the New Testament believers understood was that there was no event, no great major event in God's purpose and plan that stood between the cross and Jesus' second coming. Right? And throughout the Old Testament, God laid out his plan and his purpose and his program. And the pinnacle and climax of that plan was the cross. Was Jesus' work redeeming us on the cross and His resurrection? Uh, between that event and Jesus' second coming, there is no other event, right? So, if, if we're on a train of life and we're speeding down the track, right, the next stop for us is Jesus' second coming, right? There's no other things on. There's no other events that have to take place before the end, before the breaking of this day. So, in that sense, both. In, in Paul's time and in every era sense, we are supposed to live with the sense of the imminence or the suddenness that this day could spring upon us. Right, and uh, certainly in the, in the New Testament, they they lived with that expectation. Uh, the third thing that we must keep uh, in perspective is that the focus is not it, the focus is on the certainty of it happening, not on the timing of it. Right, what Paul is emphasizing here is that. The dawn is about to break. It's certain. It's true. It will happen. Right? It's not. Uh, it's not a maybe thing. It's not. Well, someday. It, it's. 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 Imminence means it's certain. It's going to happen. And as a result, they were supposed to be thinking and living in a, in a, in a alignment with that truth, with the reality of that nearness of this final uh, coming of God's salvation. Um, we're not supposed to be preoccupied nailing down the time. We're not supposed to put it on our calendar. But we're supposed to be prepared for its coming. We're supposed to be ready for it to happen and spring upon us. right? And it springs upon us with little or no warning. Uh, it's just going to happen. And so we need to live with that anticipation and that expectation of it. Um, so for us, just as for the people in the early church... We're to live with this idea that the end could come at any time. And that's what Paul wanted uh, the people in Rome to to believe, to live, to think, to experience. The end is coming. Are you ready? Are you prepared for Jesus to come back? Um, The sad thing is, because we have seen so much time elapse, it's easy for us to become complacent about the nearness of the end. And to think, you know, it's not anything that's really going to affect my life. But that's exactly what Paul is countering here. He says, no, we need to live in light of this coming day when God will bring the fulfillment of his salvation, when Jesus will return and things will change. Do you live anticipating that moment? Do we wake up every morning thinking, today could be the day? Well honestly, I don't. I don't usually think that. But Paul wants us to. He wants us to be urgently aware of the nearness of the end. Right? And the reason for that is that it should affect and impact how we live. Um, if all that is true, we can't live life casually. Right? Think about it. If we knew, and you know, for, for reasons whatever, God has not set the date, but suppose we knew. God gave us because he loves us more than anybody else, sent us a special revelation and said, you know, I'm coming back next Thursday, right? Uh, Would it change your life any? Well, I hope so, right? I hope that it would make you think, man, am I ready for Jesus to come back? Am I really prepared? Is my life really what it should be in light of his coming? Well, that's the impact Paul wants us to have as we read these words. We should have this sense of urgency. Uh, you know, we're cursed because we live in a day with day timers and day planners and reminders, and you know, uh, we can schedule things down to the minute, right? Except one case. There's one case where I think we live with this kind of uncertain anticipation, and that is in uh, when a, when a woman is going to give birth, right? We know we have a date. We have the due date, right? What does the due date mean? Does it mean the baby's going to be born on that day? Well, probably it probably means it'll be born any day but that day, right? Uh, it means it's going to be born around that time, right? Like maybe a month before to several weeks after, depending on, you know, how the doctors arrange things, right? Now, you may be blessed with, a, you know, an appointment for a cesarean where you know it's going to happen. But even then, there's the sense that what happens if if, you know, things start happening before that, right? So there's a sense of anticipation um, that you know it's going to happen, but you're not sure when. Well, that's how uh, Paul wants us to think about this. Okay, It's coming. It is certain. We're not sure when, but we better be prepared. We better be ready. Well, what does being ready look like? <clears throat> uh, well, he says that we need to uh, make changes in our lifestyle. We need to know how to live we need to uh, cast off the old and put on the new. And he says it this way. He says, "Uh, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, in light of that, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. He says, the reason this is so important is it should... Impact the way we live life today. Okay, this is not just something we do because it's fascinating. It's certainly not something we do so that we sell our ha- our houses and, you know, go up and wait on some mountaintop for Jesus to come back. Uh, it's not big. He doesn't tell us so that we can put up big billboards all over the city, you know, saying Jesus is coming. You know, April thirty first. Is there a thirty first in April April 29th, I don't know. Um, that's not the point. Uh, He says, we're to live in anticipation so that it will challenge us to be careful about our life, right? To be careful about how we are walking day by day. If Jesus shows up at any moment in your day, are you going to be excited about it or are you going to be embarrassed? That's the point he's making. He says, so then, get rid of your old lifestyle." Discard the things in your life that would be an embarrassment to God if He shows up, right? Live as those walking in the daylight. And this is the picture that Paul paints here. Uh, he uses some very graphic language uh, uh, to describe life in the dark. And this is he, he's picturing something that would have been true in Roman society and probably in Rome in that time. And it looked like this. During the daytime... Senators and scholars and philosophers and upstanding citizens of Rome would go to their jobs and they would dress in clean robes and they would be clean shaven and they would be respectable citizens, right? But at six o'clock, the sun goes down, you punch out of your job, right? And you do what? Well, it's dark, so you can't work anymore, but you don't want to go to bed because the night is young. So you put on your party clothes. And you find your friends, and you go out, and you have a good time. And a good time starts with large amounts of alcohol. You start there. You get all your buddies together, and you buy drink, and you start getting yourself plastered drunk, right? Because it's fun. And you start uh, carousing. What does carousing mean? Well, it means you get your group of buddies, and you start roaming up and down the streets, going to your friends' houses and knocking on their door, and dragging them into the party with you that's what he's picturing here, these, these translated orgies. It really is the, is the word carousing. And it pictures these bands of marauding drunk guys, right, who are plastered out of their minds. And you can picture this, right? Guys walking around the street singing songs, drunk, loud, obnoxious, right? Having a good time, right? Having fun. Um, dragging their friends out of the street, right? Getting more drunk. Walking around the street having a good time, right? Eventually... What happens with this drunken carousing? Well, somebody makes a suggestion. Hey, this would be a lot more fun in their drunken stupor if there were girls, right? So they go find some prostitutes and they drag them into the mix. And they find somebody's house and they take it to the next level, so to speak, right? And they start uh, every kind of sexual immorality. And in Rome, it was notorious. Maybe it was girls. Maybe it was boys. Uh, you know, there's no limits. Right, And it would go on like that, and they would keep drinking, and there would be sexual immorality, and there would be every kind of bad thing. Right, Then eventually that all wears off, and in the latest hours of the night, what happens? Well, if you've ever run around a lot of drunk people, or if you've been one of the drunk people, you know what happens, right? The senators and the philosophers and the scholars all start debating society, which is great when you're drunk, right? Because your arguments are so clear and succinct, and because you hear so well what the other guy is saying, and I've, I've, been, I've seen this, you know, this guy's going off yelling and ranting and raving, this guy's ranting and raving, neither one of them has a clue what the other guy is saying, but they're sure they're against each other, right? And so the, the, the discussions go on, and pretty soon it, it breaks out into a fight, and then it's a brawl, and pretty soon you got a bunch of drunk guys beating each other up, right? Um, but then, what happens? Well, it's getting late, day is coming, right? And you can't go to work as a senator looking beat up, drunken. You know, you got to clean up your act. So they go home, sleep off the booze, wake up early, cover the bruises, right? Put on clean clothes so that you can go out and look respectable. That's what Paul's picturing here, right? But he uses that analogy to, to, to paint the picture of life for us, right? The life of darkness is what? It was this drunkenness, carousing, this lifestyle of darkness that, that Paul's saying, look, even for the Romans, would not be appropriate in the daytime. Right? And he says this he says the day is coming. God is coming back. Jesus is coming. Put off that old lifestyle because when Jesus comes, you want to be presented before Him respectable. Right? You need to clean up your act. You need to put off that lifestyle of darkness, of carousing and drunkness. And you need to put on uh, the clean clothes of a new lifestyle that's suitable for the day. Right? That's the image he's painting. And for the Romans, um, it, it probably fit pretty accurately the way their life was before they came to Christ. For many of them, this is probably the lifestyle they were involved with daily. Right? daily. Drunkenness, prostitutes, uh, immorality, filth, debauchery fighting quarreling right that was their lifestyle just to clean up in the day to look respectable to go back and start all over again Uh, now for us uh, some of you may have come from that lifestyle and been saved out of that many of you maybe maybe have not right Uh, but the point is not you know did you live that kind of drunken lifestyle before you got saved the point is this your own lifestyle was not appropriate for the coming of christ Whatever your old life was and is, whatever the old habits and old things of your life are, there are things in your life, sins, things that you wrestle with and struggle with, that you know you would not want to present to Christ. When Jesus shows up, you don't want Him to catch you engaged in these things. Uh, For us, it may be things like addictions, alcohol or drug or pornography or work or thrill-seeking, or sexual addictions. It may have been things like just pure selfish ambition, power, greed, materialism, uh, the endless pursuit of a comfortable lifestyle, fame, um, a life that's consumed with sports or some other hobby. Right. Uh, All of us had idols of our former life. None of us were born in the daylight. We were all born in a, in a period of darkness. And all of us lived a lifestyle that fit the darkness. Right? And all of us have a flesh, Paul says, that still struggles, is still pulled by those forces. What are the idols in your life? Um, and the truth is that some of you deal with idols and you struggle with things that are socially unacceptable. So, if you struggle with alcoholism or pornography or uh, drugs, we know those things are not socially acceptable and they are hidden in secret. Um, and secret. And there are things that you do privately away when nobody's looking. Some of us, though, have addictions, have idols that are quite socially acceptable, right? So, you get applauded for these things. So, if you're a workaholic, uh, especially if you're a workaholic in ministry, People love this, right? People applaud you for it. You get awards for this, right? Does it make it less of an idol? No, right? Um, now, of course, in all these things, uh, we've got to be careful because what for you is an idol, for somebody else is not, right? So what, what is a sinful thing for you, for another person? They can do it, right? They can They can keep it in balance. It doesn't dominate and control their life. But we all know the things that, if given free reign in our life, would dominate us. Would consume our time and our energy and our thoughts. And ultimately, would consume our affection and devotion that belongs to God. What is it in our life that we struggle with, that tempts us, that we wrestle with? Um, Well... Those are the things of the darkness. And, and Paul says we need to strip off those things. And the image he uses here is of, of, of taking off, of, of stripping off the old clothes, right, those old garments. You need to strip off, cast away this old lifestyle. And you need to adopt a different lifestyle, one that is fitting for the daylight instead of the dark. Uh, and he says to replace us, so we, we get rid of those things, and instead we suit up, we put on the armor of light. Right, so we don't just get rid of, but we now have to put on new clothes. And he specifically says we put on the armor of light. I love this picture in this image. Okay when we got up this morning, it was Sunday, so we got up and we dressed appropriately, except for Roman back there who's got this bright green song crime shirt on, you know that's he's, he's dressed for song crime, right? Uh, the rest of you dress for church. Uh, we get up in the morning. We got to think about today. What's going on? What am I? What am I dressing for today? Right? If you're going to a construction job, you dress a certain way. If you're going to a business job, you dress a certain way. Um, well, what does Paul say we need to dress for when we wake up? The, this day is dawning. He says, "Wake up, get ready." What do we dress as? Well, he says, "This. Put on your armor." Right. Put on the armor of light. Why? Well, apparently today we're going to battle, right? Apparently what it means for us to prepare for the coming break of a new day is we need to gear up for battle and prepare for war. Well, what battle is it that we're preparing for? Well, he says we, we, we put on the armor of light because we are battling against this darkness, okay? Because the day is coming, but it's not quite there yet. We're in this this window between the end of the night and the coming of a new day. And we must put on the armor of light so that we can battle against that old lifestyle of darkness that still wants to control us, right? That still has a pull in our life. And he says, every day got to wake up prepared to fight against and do battle against that old lifestyle. And not only for us, but in society as a whole. We are at war. Too many times we get up in the morning and we dress for vacation. We don't put on our armor, right? I dress to have a good time, not to go to battle. Paul says every morning we need to get up, we need to dress, we need to prepare for the battle that we face by putting on the armor of light. Um, Well, so what does this look like in everyday life? Okay? So this is the picture Paul's painting. Hopefully, like, Painted that clear, so you can see that. End of the night, we wake up. We put on our armor of light. We do ready. We get ready to do battle against the things in our life, the idols, the forces, the temptations that pull us every day. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a week, a year, ten years, fifty years, a hundred years. Those battles are battles we must fight every day, right? The idols, the things that we struggle with. If you killed them yesterday, guess what? Today, they get new life. Okay, just like video games, right? Every time, they just come back. Endless, right? That's how it is. And I've talked to people who struggle with sin in their life when they are 15. i start talked to people who are in their 60s and 70s, struggling with the same temptations. Okay, don't ever feel like, well, I'm older now, I've been a Christian forever, I got this under control, Right? Uh, the only way you get it under control is if you've been diligently fighting the battle day by day by day, okay? because the temptations never go away. Maybe they change. Um, maybe uh, new toys come into your life that entice you, right? But every day we got to do this. So what do we do practically, right? Let me. Paul gives us two suggestions. Let me give two things that he says we are to do to do battle. To deal with these daily temptations. Uh, First one, he says, uh, put on Christ. Verse 13, or verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. First thing, put on Christ. Now I love this. Put on Christ. when I wake up in the morning and I put on my armor of light, what is the armor of light? Well, Paul says specifically here, it's not just some generic thing. The armor of light is actually Christ himself. And it's interesting, uh, we all have kind of our idioms and metaphors of how we explain things. And, and the Greeks, when they talked about getting dressed, we say we get dressed. They say, they would say, you sink into your clothes. Interesting image, right? You sink into your clothes. Um I don't, I don't actually know how they experience that but that's what they that's what they said I love that picture though when you apply it to Christ right sink into Christ what do clothes do for us uh, well they they give us some level of protection right especially if you're strapping on armor right it protects you but even against the elements you know clothes provide uh, protection they provide cover right it covers our our things that we don't want other people to see, right? Our nakedness, our things that we, are shame, right? Um, thirdly, clothes reveal something about who we are, our identity. Right? If you put on armor, it's revealing your identity as a soldier, as somebody going to battle, right? And all of those things, Paul says, we do when we put on Christ. He is our cover. He covers our shame and our nakedness. He protects us. And He gives us an identity as one fiercely at war against the forces of darkness. So, when we think about overcoming darkness, we we need to do it by putting on Christ. Uh, But there's a wrong way to do this. And a lot of times uh, in the Christian life, and I've experienced this in my own life, where... I thought, you know, the Bible taught that you get saved, you come to Christ, and he saves you, so that I can now be successful in becoming a good person that I couldn't be before, right? Well, that's true in a sense, but you've got to be very careful how you lay that out, right? Because, indeed, Jesus did save you to make you a better person. He saved you to make you holy. He saved you to sanctify you. But He did not save you and die on the cross so that you could make yourself a good person. And if you're there trying to do that, uh, I can promise you you're failing every day. And I know that from personal experience. right? Where I got saved, I came to Christ, I thought, man, I'm a, I'm a new person in Christ. Now i got to take charge of my life. And through discipline and hard work, i got to become a good person. And so I was very painfully aware of the the temptations in my life and I decided, you know, I'm not I'm going to overcome these temptations right, I can do this and I would pray, I would discipline myself, I would I would, you know, try really hard and it would last for you know, a day, maybe two days, and I would fall right, and I would think, oh I'm such a failure, and I would feel bad and I would think, oh, I've got to try harder, okay I can do this, i got to try harder so maybe I would last a week then I would fall, right? I would fail. Uh, that's the wrong approach, and that's not what Paul says here. Paul does not say, "Put on the armor of light and go out there and try hard, you losers." <laughs> you know, get it together, discipline yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do this, you sluggards. Right? Is not what he says. Right? What does he say? He says, "Put on Christ." What exactly does he mean by that? Well, I think he, he means this. First of all, it is the only way to do battle against the idols and struggles in your life. The only way you will ever find success and victory is if you learn how to put on Christ every day, to sink into Him and let Him be your cover. What does that look like? Um, well, I think it means this. It means that daily... We are to put on the life and work of Christ. Another way we might put it is this. We could say, I need to daily put on the cross. I need to take up the cross of Christ. Now, I don't mean by that we take up the cross as our, our sacrifice. Maybe as Jesus meant it, take up your cross and follow me, that we sacrifice our life for Him. That's not what I mean. I mean we take up the work and the power of the cross every day in our life. And we use the power of the cross to confront the sin and temptation in our life. Um, It means that we understand its power is the only way we will overcome the temptations in our life. The cross saved us, past tense, but it also uh, uh, daily rescues us from the power of sin and temptation. So what does that look like? Uh, Let's use some of the examples that Paul gives. Uh, A person who has a a problem with alcohol. Okay, they are an alcoholic. Doesn't mean they drink, but it means they drink to hide. They drink to numb the pain in their life. Uh, to drown their fears and anxieties and the pain of a guilt-ridden life. Right, that's alcoholism. Okay, you drink to hide. Right? And, uh, to feel numb. Until the alcohol wears off, and then what? You feel even more guilty, and even more ashamed, and even a greater need to hide. So what do you got to do? You got to drink more. Driving in the Muban this morning, I saw some guys out there. Nine o'clock in the morning, the hundred pipers already tanking it down because it's song crime. Got to celebrate, right? Uh, Well, in your own discipline, you know, you can go to AA. You can you can you can try to discipline yourself. You can try to overcome it, but. What is the solution? Well, Paul says, put on Christ. If you struggle with alcohol and the pain of that, you need to turn to the cross and experience the fullness of God's grace. You need to truly experience what it means to be forgiven completely and to know what it means to live a life free from guilt. That no matter how drunk you got yesterday, God forgives you and gives you a clean slate today. And you don't need to feel guilty you don't need to wear the burden of that in your life. And to see the power of Jesus cover our sins and to experience His grace and forgiveness. Right? That's what every alcohol alcoholic needs. Right? And ultimately, they'll never experience deliverance, true freedom and deliverance. They might go dry for a long time, but they'll never overcome the inner darkness of alcoholism until the cross touches that part of their life and brings its healing, powerful healing. Uh, what about sexual addictions? Um, and, and I know the reality is that the statistics are that somebody in this room has an addiction to porn. That's just the statistics of it. Somebody struggle, and, and if, if they're not succumbing to it, there's a whole lot of others who are tempted by it, right? <laughs> who struggle with it, who are lured by its pull. Well, what is the power of pornography, the power of sexual addictions? Well, it's, it's experiencing pleasure to give you a brief moment of joy and escape, kind of like alcohol, right? Your, your life hurts, and, and it's lonely, and there's emptiness in your life, maybe from broken relationships, maybe from relationships that don't work, maybe just from uh, your inability to connect with people, and you are empty inside, and uh, sexual addiction gives you a temporary sense that you're connected with another person, even though you're really not. It's the illusion of it. And there's a brief fleeting moment of pleasure and joy when you feel like you've connected with another human being, even though it's a lie. Well, how do you overcome it? Well, uh, you turn to the cross. Right? You put on Christ, Paul says. His work, His death, His resurrection. And in it, you experience the life and the joy that He has given you. An intimate relationship with Him. Right. So instead of trying to fill your life with joy and connection through a sexual addiction, you try to connect with Jesus. right? And you find a joy inexpressible in Him. Uh, I wish I had time this morning to read the story of Augustine who experienced this in his life. Was a guy who was uh, terribly addicted to girls, and felt the pull of them constantly in his life. Was never able to break it until he found Christ and had an intimate, deep connection with Him. And from that day on, he never once again turned back to girls to immorality. Right? Um, maybe those are not those were you know definitely socially unacceptable ones. Um, Paul talks here about strife and 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 jealousy. The word, word actually he uses is zeal, a person who's zealous, and it really has the picture of somebody who's got just a white hot raging anger. Maybe that's what you deal with. Uh, you desire to vindicate yourself and prove you're right and they're wrong, right? That's your addiction. That's your idol, right? Uh, at the root of it is a pride that wants to validate yourself. Uh, And justify yourself when you are hurt and wounded and restore your broken and wounded pride. And you do that by getting angry when things don't go your way, when people hurt you, when people abuse you, or when people abuse somebody else. Or just any time there's an excuse to get angry, right? And there's some release in that. There's something you hold on to in that anger. Uh, And it becomes a destructive force in your life, Right? It, like those other things, gives a brief moment of joy, of conquest and victory. But then uh, you see the damage it's done in you and in, in breaking relationships with others. How do you deal with that? Try to be nice? Try to be kinder? Try to be happier? No. Paul says, put on Christ, right? Come to the cross, come before the cross of Christ and realize that you are not better than anybody else. You are not justified in your anger because you are a sinner just like they are. And the reality is what they have done to hurt you is nothing compared to what you have done to hurt God, to sin against the God of the universe. And God was angry with you. And God had every right to pour out His wrath and anger on you, but instead He did what? He poured out His wrath on His own Son, right? He vented His anger not on us, but on His own Son on the cross. And there ought to be such an overwhelming sense of what it means to be forgiven, to receive grace, right? That we should be horrified by our anger and go, what right do I have to be angry at anybody? I should be extending grace. My crime is so small, like the parable Jesus told: the king uh, who a man owed millions to, and he forgave, but he could not go out and forgive. Right? Well, if we understand that parable, we should never be angry again. Right? We should, but to do that, we've got to come under the cross. We've got to see our life in the perspective of what Jesus did on the cross every day. Right? He says, put on Christ. I think that's what he means. He says, every day we should be coming to the cross, and as we struggle with these things in our life, we should see them in the light of the work and life of Christ. What He did for us. And as we grow in grace and in forgiveness and in healing, it should transform us. And that's what gives us power to overcome the darkness and to put off that old lifestyle. Finally, last thing, real quick. Uh, he's, there's two things. So first thing, we put on Christ. But it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. It doesn't mean that we carelessly live our life. In fact, he, he ends with his final word. He says, um, uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, so we put on Christ, but we also got to be very proactive about how we arrange and order our life. He says, "Do not make provision for the flesh. Do not accommodate sin." Uh, kind of a modern paraphrase with this would be: "Do not cater to the sinful desires of the flesh." Right? Don't order up. You know, don't don't order off the menu that the flesh gives you. <laughs> right? Don't arrange your life in a way that accommodates its desires, meaning its sinful desires. Those things that we know are a problem for us. Uh, in other words, arrange your life as far away from sin as possible. So as you become aware of things in your life that are a weakness, that are a temptation, that are a struggle, you need to figure out how to make your life uh, with as many boundaries and fences around those things as possible. As absolutely possible, right? So if drinking is a, and partying is a temptation for you, don't go to parties, Right? Don't go to places where that would be a temptation. Stay far away. Go to the library. right? <laughs> go to the jungle. I don't know. Go somewhere else. Right? You probably need a new set of friends as well. Because if, if your friends are all the party animals, you need new friends. Right? So you change your lifestyle. You remove yourself from that. And say, hey, we're going to a party tonight. Say, hey, you know, why don't we go like, to church instead? <laughs> thought let's have a bible study if you struggle with sexual temptation you know stay away from girls stay away from uh, computers stay away from the avenues that those temptations come they say well that's impossible you know there's girls everywhere there's a problem right there's computers everywhere i got to do my job on my computer okay true but this is what you can do stay away from private places don't isolate yourself don't put yourself in a place where sin can happen right um, be careful don't use your if you struggle with uh, pornography don't use your computer in private right use your computer where there's lots of people around where you are accountable right put blocking software on your computer do something right? Don't accommodate the flesh. Don't make it easy. Make it as hard as possible. Right? Build fences in your life. Um, you go going down the list. Uh, the point is this. Jesus is coming back. Right? It could be today. It could be next week. I don't know when it is. But the reality is that when he comes back, You know, you're going to be saved if you put your faith in him. His grace covers everything. But just think about this. You know, the last thing you are doing on earth, is it going to be something that you're proud of or you're ashamed of for all eternity? That when Jesus walked in the door, you were fill in the blank, right? Right? Uh, Are you really living with the anticipation that Jesus is coming? Right? If so, then we should be living as those who are already in the daylight, not as those who are still in the darkness. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.